Good morning. So I'm Casey. I'm blessed to be an elder here, and I get the privilege of um, teaching today over a really cool uh, passage. And so where we're going the next couple weeks is we're going over the prayers of Jesus. Okay, so we're going to be going over a series of all the prayers that Jesus prayed, and um, we're going to delve into them, not all of them, but some of them. And the, the point of it is that Jesus drew strength what it looked like uh, to pray and to have, to have communion with God and to speak with God and to talk to God. So he set that up for us. And he frequently went off by himself to pray and, and to meet with the Father intimately. And those modeled prayers, whether they were intercessory or praying for other people or, or even praying for what he's going to go through, it, it gives us a good example. So that's where we're going this next few weeks. So today... Um, where we're at is uh, the title of this message is How to Talk to God. And we'll be in Matthew 6, 9 through 13, which is the Lord's Prayer. So I want to ask a question and be honest with yourself as how is your prayer life? Think about it. How's your prayer life? Is it, is it strong? Could it be better? If I was going to be honest, I could pray a lot more. Um, we're going to get to some statistics here. According to Pew Research, 68% of Christians say they pray every day. Now that could be the, God help me right now, I'm about to take this test. You know, in 1962, the Supreme Court uh, outlawed prayer in school as mandated. And then the quote is that as long as math tests are given, there's going to be prayer in schools. Okay, so... So we always pray, right? We pray when we're in a bind. You know, you might have that really great prayer life. So in the 68% of Christians that pray, it could be as simple like, yeah, I, I prayed today. Or, or you're going to follow this model prayer that we're going to be in. And you're going to be like, you could be as far as James, the brother of Jesus, who they called him camel knees because he prayed so much. He was on his knees so much in prayer that he had calluses on his knees. So 17% of Christians say they pray weekly, 5% monthly. seldom or never, and 1% aren't sure if they ever pray. It's pretty bad, right? Let's break it up between men and women. Who do you think prays more, men or women? Okay, you're right. 40% of the men that pray, 68%, 40% were men, 60% were women. Of the uh, 17% weekly, it was 50-50. Of the monthly, it was 67% men and 33% women. And of that 1%, it was a 50-50. We're not sure if we pray at all. So in the Bible, there's 650 recorded prayers. Now, I didn't go searching through every single one of them because I would still be doing that right now. But uh, Gospel Coalition gave us that number and 450 recorded answers to prayers. There's 25 recorded incidents of Jesus praying in the New Testament. And so, what did he pray for? He prayed to thank God for revelation. He prayed after retiring from a toiling day's work to meet with the Father. He prayed to make big decisions over his 12 disciples. He thanked God for food. He prayed to obtain miraculous power from heaven, to express the intimate relationship between himself and the Father. He prayed over little children. He prayed to bless the food. He prayed as a high priest. He prayed to restore and keep the disciples, especially Peter, uh, during the crucifixion. He prayed for God's will to be done in the Garden of Gethsemane. He prayed at the cross for the Father to forgive 
the guys that were crucifying him, and he prayed after the resurrection to bless. So then where did Jesus pray? Luke 11, 1 says a certain place. Pretty vague, right? He prayed after his baptism in the Jordan River. He prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. He prayed on the cross. He prayed in a solitary place in the morning, away. He prayed after, on a mountain after feeding 5,000. He prayed uh, on a mountain all night before he chose his 12 disciples. He prayed in the wilderness. Luke 5, 16 says this, Jesus often slipped away to the wilderness to pray after he spent a great deal of time healing. And he prayed when alone and when he was only with his disciples, asking them who the people said that he was. So L.D. Bevins, who's an English and Australian preacher, says this about Jesus in prayer. He says, It's not only the expression of need, but the supply of which is sought of God. But by the example of Christ, it is the highest expression of trust, submission, and union with God. So I was prepping for this. My wife's like, what's the, what's the weirdest prayer you've ever said? And I'm sure we all have these times in our lives where we've been in need and we've, we've prayed, right? So uh, I had a midlife crisis in my early 30s, and I bought a motorcycle. How many people ride motorcycles? Yeah, they're dangerous. <laughs> Anyways, so it was late October, and it was, uh, I rode my motorcycle into work. And when I left for work, it was like 60. But I actually got into the low 30s on my ride home. And I had two pairs of gloves. I had a few jackets on. I even had snow pants on because I was like, yeah, it's going to be cold on my way home. So on my way home, my hands froze. So I stopped on 522 by the uh, motorcycle dealership you see it in Woodenville. And I put my hands to the engine to warm them up because I'm like, my hands are freezing, right? So I get my hands warm. Then I start riding some more. And because I'm riding in the air coming in and the fog setting, I haven't gotten to the bridge yet in Snohom- on the Snohomish or Skykomish River Bridge, but my, uh, my face mask started fogging up and freezing on the inside. So I had to flip that up. Okay, now this was 522 when it was only two lanes. There wasn't the freeway lane. So I'm coming over the, the bridge and I'm freezing. And, and I'm scared because this guy is riding me and there's nowhere for him to go. And I'm coming over the bridge. My face is frozen and I'm pleading to God. I was like, dear God, just get me home. I will never ride my motorcycle at night again, <laughs> ever. Okay. And when I got home, I walked in, it was like 3.30 in the morning after work, and I was frozen. I just jumped in bed, and I froze, like, hypothermic for a couple hours. You know, so I, I called out to God, right? And so it doesn't matter. We can talk to God wherever we're at. We can talk to God whether we're on a mountain, whether we're riding a motorcycle and about to die in fear or whatnot, right? So, slide number four. So, it's going to be here. It says, the Lord teach us to pray. And that's what one of the disciples said to uh, to Jesus is in, in Luke 11, 1, which is a, a parallel passage for the Lord's Prayer. They see Jesus. They see him having this communion with the Father. You know, they see him going to him and, and talking to him regularly, and they get to that point like, Lord, teach us to pray. So we're going to focus on the Lord's Prayer. Uh, it's a great prayer. Um, I'll talk a little bit about it more in a second, but these are what some famous leaders had to say about this. Uh, evangelical leaders to even presidents and dictators. David Jeremiah says this, The Lord's Prayer reminds us that God longs for his people to communicate with him, not just in church on Sunday, but wherever we are and whatever our need. Arthur Wellesley says this, The Lord's Prayer contains the sum total of religion and morals. 
Woodrow Wilson, the 20th president of the U.S., says, In the Lord's Prayer, the first petition is for daily bread. No one can worship God or love his neighbor on an empty stomach. Okay, this isn't up here, but Napoleon Bonaparte even said this. Do you wish to find out the really sublime, what is like grander and amazing? He says, recite the Lord's Prayer. Okay, so let's get into it. Matthew 6, 9 through 13. It'll be up on the screen, or if you have your Bibles, we can read it. So Jesus just talks in the Sermon on the Mount, and he, he's in the Sermon on the Mount, and, he, and he's going through this, what, what prayer is. And prayer isn't like, we don't need to go on the corner and, and pray to make a big scene, or like the, like the Jewish leaders would do, or like the Gentiles, where they just keep repeating these vain repetitions and think that if I keep saying all these things, what he's saying is like, God knows what you need. So he breaks it out, and he, and he teaches us this prayer. And he says this, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So this prayer isn't a rote prayer. It's not just like something that you pray, just pray the words and then go about your day. It's a, it's a model prayer. It's, it's a template for how we can communicate with God on a daily basis. Um, I remember when I was a kid, I used to pray every night before I go to bed, and I would say the exact same things. Oh, Lord, thank you for this day. Help it to be sunny tomorrow. Help me to have a great day. Be with my family. And God hears those prayers, right, if we come to him. And, and we're believers and we believe in him. But, but we can get caught up in this, just praying the same thing over and over. But this, if we pray this as a template, which I'm going to go over here, it's, it's a really good way to just kind of to lay out everything. And it, you'll find yourself, come, things coming to mind that you need to pray for or things coming up. And, and each one puts us, in, it puts us in our right place and puts God on his throne, okay? So... Point number one, if you like to keep notes, is there's going to be five points to this message, is number one, we talk to God by calling on his name. So Matthew 6, 9, uh, 6, 9 says this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Okay? So Jesus says, Our Father. We open this up by coming to God as our Father. In the Old Testament, the word our Father for God was only used 14 times. In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 and 6, it's used 17 times. And Jesus uses our Father 70 times in the Gospels. So Jesus is setting the example for us. That there's, this is a relational prayer. So we're saying our Father, our Father in heaven, our Father. We're coming to our Father. The only way that we can come to our Father is what? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So this is a relational prayer. Okay? In Romans 8, Paul says that, you know, because of God's Spirit living in us, because we're in Christ, we can call out to our Father, Abba. Okay, that's like saying Daddy. That's a word for Daddy in the Greek. So who is he? Our Father. It says in heaven, right? Heaven is God's throne. He dwells in unapproachable light. And God is Spirit. And no one's ever seen God the Father face to face. Jesus has made him known. Um, Exodus says that you, Moses says that like you can't look at the God's face and live. He knew that. So we're talking to our Father in heaven. Uh, interesting story is is that this is the God of heaven, right? But in at work, I've had some details where I've actually got to guard the president of the United States. And this one time, um, 
I'm guarding, I think I've guarded the president like in some realm like three times. And this one, I'm end up being like 15 feet from the president of the U.S., okay? So does anybody get to actually really go up and just talk to the president? No, right? So, so the president's going to pull up in, uh, in Seattle. It was like Pioneer Square area. And um, where I was standing, he's like 15 feet behind me. And they're like, you can't turn around. You can't look at him. Your job is to stand there and look forward, right? So this is the president of the United States. He's 15 feet behind me, and I can't even look at him. So we can't just like walk into the White House and talk to the president, you know, but our Father in Heaven, we can go to him at any time, and he wants to talk to us. He wants to, he wants to, he wants to have that communion with us in that community. So in heaven, um, Isaiah 6, 1 through 7 says this, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he'd taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. So this is Isaiah's vision of God on his throne. And it's amazing. And he sees it and he's like, I, am, I can't even be here because I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm a man of sin. And God takes that, takes that from him. But that's how amazing God is when he sits on his throne. 1 Timothy 6.16 says this about the Father, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. So we say this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed, hagios theto is the Greek word, and that is a root word of hagios, which means holy. Pretty simple, right? But if, but if we're saying this hallowed, then we're venerating God's name. We're, we're setting it apart. We're sanctifying it. We're, we're making it holy. So when we come to God the Father, hallowing his name, we need to recognize that he is the omnibenevolent, omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent God. He's the uncaused cause. He's the creator. But we're able to go to this God that's amazing at any time we want because of Jesus. Exodus 35, uh, 34, 5 through 17 this is uh, Moses, actually, in, in Exodus 33, he, he wants to, he asks God, I want to show me your glory. And God's like, well, if I do that and you see me face to face, you're going to die. Anybody ever watch for, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark? Okay, when that Ark of the Covenant goes up and the guy melts, probably what's, what would happen if you actually ever saw God face to face, right? Especially in our man, sinful state. So, God, so Moses is like, Lord, show me your glory. And, and God's like, okay, I'll pass by you, but you're only going to get to see my back because you can't handle seeing me, and I'm going to put my hand up and cover you as I go by. And it says this in Exodus 34. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, 
but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So we are coming, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We are coming to God, who is amazing, that we can't even really fathom. And all we know is what he's chosen to reveal himself to us. But that's how Jesus wants us to start. We're coming to God. He said, come, like our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Come to him. Know who he is. Glorify his name. Okay? Point two. Give, uh, we talk to God by giving up our will. So Matthew 6.10 says this. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. So uh, Alan Redpath says this. Before we can pray, Lord, thy kingdom come, we must be willing to pray, my kingdom go. John the Baptist said this, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And once Jesus came on scene, he started saying, you know, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now it's here. So, so John the Baptist is saying that. He recognizes that Christ's kingdom is coming and that it's near. And then Jesus is saying when, when John the Baptist was uh, imprisoned and beheaded that um, the kingdom of God is at hand. Okay? But John the Baptist also said this when it was brought up about you know, oh, he, Jesus and his disciples are baptizing more of you. And he's saying, I must decrease and he must increase. Okay, so, so even John the Baptist recognizes, I need to like put myself down here. But giving up our will to God and recognizing that it's his kingdom and not ours. And when we pray this, we have to be willing to say, to, to lift our hands up and just say, Lord, whatever your will is, like take, you know, I accept it, I take it. Um, so I don't know if, I know a lot of people know this, but not all, but my, our kids are adopted. And um, we had a tough time um, having kids at the beginning, obviously. That's why they're adopted. But uh, so we were, we were praying, but we were shut off to certain things when we were praying for kids. And it was that we wanted to have our own kids. So we did, we exhausted every single thing, whereas we would have these conversations like, no, no, we're not going to adopt kids. Uh, we we want to try to keep having our own. And... Uh, it was funny, Dee Dee went on a vacation and I stayed home and worked and both of us had these moments while we were, um, while we were in our separate spots that Dee Dee was on the beach where she was at with her mom and she was like, Lord, whatever your will is, I, I give it up to you. And like, I was having a change of heart myself at home saying like, you know, Lord, I, I'm, I'll accept whatever you have for us. And then nine months later, Brady's born, like to, almost to the date. It's, it's pretty crazy, right? But but, but that was where we just said, Lord, your will be done. Because the whole time we're praying, Lord, we want this. we're praying to God, but we're not really giving him our will, right? Philippians 2.10 says this. Um, so that even at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. So, every, so, so when we say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven we're recognizing that, that Jesus is on the throne. And we can, you know, I've heard this said before, is we can bow our knees at two times. We can bow voluntarily while we're on the earth to Jesus, or we can, or we can be forced to bow at the end where every knee is going to bow. And so we have to be willing to give up our will to him. But this kingdom coming, um, Hebrews 1.8 says this, But of the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever, and the righteous scepter is the scepter of his kingdom. So when we pray that, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's will is, is always being played out in heaven. 
because that's his throne, right? The earth is his footstool. But on here, we have free will. So we can choose whether we want to submit to his will or we want to rebel. And what we're saying when we pray this prayer is that, Lord, we're submitting to your will. We're giving up our kingdom to your kingdom. Currently, God's kingdom is it's a spiritual kingdom, right? It's a spiritual kingdom in that, you know, Jesus is coming, he died, he rose again, and like the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that grows into this big, huge tree for everybody to branch in. As God's using us to further his kingdom, his spiritual kingdom on this earth. And eventually, his kingdom is going to become a physical reality to this earth. Whether you're like me and you believe that there's going to be a thousand-year reign of Christ on the earth in Jerusalem on the throne of David, or it's going to be, that's a spiritual kingdom now, and eventually it's going to be a physical reality in heaven where he reigns forever. But Jesus is going to reign on his throne, and it's going to become a physical reality at some point. But he's calling us right now to be willing to allow him to further his kingdom through us. Luke 17, 21 says this, the kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God is within you. If you're a believer, if you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're part of the kingdom, you're in the kingdom, and it's inside of you, and our job is to, is to keep pushing it out. Point number three, we talk to God by needing him. Matthew 6, 11 says this, give us this day our daily bread. So God cares about everything. Even the small stuff, right? We play games a lot. We like to play board games. I like to play games with my family. And sometimes my mom will be like rolling the dice. Oh, Lord, give me a seven. And I'll be like, yeah, God really doesn't care about that, Mom. <laughs> like, <laughs> he doesn't care, right? And does God care if we win or lose in games and sports or whatnot? I don't know. I mean, he cares about the small stuff, right? And he, he cares about us. He, he, he wants us to experience and enjoy this world, right? Because it's an amazing place. And he does care about the small stuff. I don't know about dice, but I know that he cares about our attitudes throughout the game. He cares about how we, how we come out of that and, our, and how we respond. Um, speaking of board games, we used to, if the, we had this winner picks up deal. And so at the end of the game, if you lost, <laughs> you would throw your cards or your dice at the winner and they'd have to pick it up. Really bad. My wife, my wife convicted us on that part of it. So we don't do that anymore. But God cares about the small stuff. Matthew 6, 25 through 33 says this. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more value than they? Of which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Sorry, I didn't know I was going to keep going. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So God, in that verse, God cares about you. He cares about your clothing, you being clothed. He cares about your, your anxieties and your fears 
You know, Paul says in uh, Philippians 4, 8, be anxious for nothing, but in everything through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So he cares about those things. He cares about our physical needs. You know, he says, what, um, a question is, is what, you need, what do you need today? What do you need today in your life? God cares about that. You know, it comes to the physical needs. I wrote these, these thoughts down on physical needs. Shelter, we need a house, right? We need food, we need clothing, we need money, we need our health. We have family needs, relational needs, job needs. We have uh, family members that don't, that don't know God that we need to pray for. You know, we have the things that come up through the day. I had a meeting with, uh, with somebody that I didn't want to have, have a meeting with at work, and I prayed before that. I was like, Lord, give me the words to speak to this person. I really don't want to have this meeting, but I need to. You know, and it went smoothly. So, I mean, it's, it's every little thing that comes up in our life. God cares about those things. But it's not just the physical. We also have spiritual needs. Um, for the last few years, I've been pretty good about praying the model template Lord's Prayer. Um, when I was coming up to do this message, I wanted to pray every day while I prepped for it for like six weeks. I think I missed just like a day or two. But when I pray this prayer and it comes to spiritual needs, which would be we need the Holy Spirit and we need God's armor. I, I pray this just about every day, but I pray that his fruit of his spirit is inside of me, that I experience it, that I have peace, that I have peace with others, that I have patience with others, that I have kindness to my kids and my wife and those I encounter and gentleness, that I have self-control over my thoughts and my flesh, that I have joy, right? The joy that can't be taken from us and that I love my neighbors and that I even love my enemies and I pray for those who persecute me. Okay? That's a hard thing to pray, right? It's even going to be harder when we get to the next point. But I also pray the armor of God, because our battle isn't just against people. It's against spiritual powers that go against us. I pray for the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit and the shield of faith and the breastplate of righteousness, that I have truth around my waist, that I speak truth because truth is being taken away nowadays, right? And it's relative moral relativism, and I, I pray that, the, that my feet are fitted with the gospel of peace, right? That, that, I, that I preach the gospel to myself and to others, that Jesus came, died, and rose again, and that's a free gift, right? So I pray those things all the time. Point four, we talk to God by confessing our sin and forgiving others. So Matthew six twelve says this, and forgive us our debts as we have also uh, as we have also, or also have forgiven our debtors. So forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. That's the only thing in this whole prayer that we have to do, is that we have to forgive people, and that's really hard. Like, of everything that we're doing, we're relying on God, right? He's our Father in heaven. His kingdom come. His will. Give us this day our daily bread. You forgive me for my sins, but I have to forgive other people, and that's hard. John 1, 1 John 1, 9 says this, If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. The Lord's Prayer isn't a prayer of salvation, necessarily, right? It's not this forgiveness that God's talking about here and Jesus is saying, is this is a fellowship forgiveness. This is when we let stuff get between us and God that we need to confess it to him. Just like when we let stuff get between us and other people, we need to forgive them so that we can have that fellowship with God that he wants us to have. Charles Spurgeon says this, It does not spoil your happiness to confess your sin. The unhappiness is in not making the confession. 
So there is that. When we confess our sin to God, there's that, it takes that weight off of us, right? And we, you know, and sometimes it takes us a little bit to realize the sins that we've committed. Um, but if we pray this model prayer and this template, we're coming to God every day and asking for forgiveness. We're, we're bringing up this stuff. This is something that this prayer can keep us in fellowship with God daily. But the second part is that is uh, forgiving those people who have wronged us. And that's tough. But let's get to Daniel 9.20. It says this. And even in the Old Testament, there's a good example of kind of a template of how to pray this prayer. And this is Daniel. He prays this. This is Daniel in the Old Testament that was pretty amazing. That was uh, taking captivity in Babylon. And he lived really upstanding and was really faithful to God. But even he prayed this. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God. So this is Daniel even. He prays and confesses. He, he, he asks for forgiveness. He prays for his people. We have to forgive those people who wronged us. And, and while I was actually doing this, um, prepping for this message, I was praying one morning and somebody had offended me the day before and offended a bunch of other people I knew. And I was ticked, right? But I, I forgave that person. I had to forgive him while I'm thinking about this because I'm like, yeah, I really want to do this, this, and this. But you know what? I got to let it go. And I've had peace since then, right? I've had anybody have family members that you're estranged from that haven't actually ever asked for your forgiveness. And if we don't forgive them, then, then we harbor that resentment. I've got family members that are alive and that have since passed that, you know, I've prayed for them. I've come to this point in the prayer and I'm like, I forgive them even though they haven't asked for it. Even though they've wronged me, I, I let it go. I give it up to you, God. And that's hard because it's not a one-time thing for me. I, I have to actually repeatedly keep saying this to, to God and, and giving it up to them. Here's a good story about forgiveness. Matthew 18, 21 through 35. It's a parable that Jesus says. And it, and it can put us into perspective of how much we actually need to forgive people and how much we're actually forgiven. Peter came up to him and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Peter's thinking like, I got this, seven times, that's good, right? Like if I forgive my brother seven times, I'm good. This is like, I'm going way beyond the bar. And Jesus says to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times, or some versions say 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one who was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. I did the math on this a long time ago, and it was like, in our day, it would be like a lifetime of work that he owed this guy, and you could never pay this amount back. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had, and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. So he canceled out the whole thing. So this guy's been completely forgiven his debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, which is infinitely less than what he owed. 
It'd be like owing someone probably a denarii, probably a hundred days worth of money or whatnot. And seizing him, he began to choke him (laughs) and saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And you should not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you. And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So that's pretty powerful, right? That's like, I got to forgive people. And if God forgives us for the silly things that we do and the sin, we need to be willing to give that up to other people, to, to that same forgiveness to other people. Last point here is, is point number five. We talk to God by relying on him for protection. Matthew 6.13 says this. says, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So was, when I was reading this, there's a lot of things you can go, get which ways you could go, but like Jesus, it says, was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil, right? So you got that thought in mind. And then James 1.13 says this, Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. So that's true. God doesn't tempt anybody. He allows us to go through things. He allows us to enter into trials to, uh, like in James says, also is like, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you go through trials of many kind, because it's the testing of your faith. Um, I liked what the ESV study Bible said about this, is that the meaning of this is allow us to be spared from difficult circumstances that would tempt us to sin. Okay, so, so this, is a, this is the prayer for the future. This is what we're going to go through, you know, the things that we're going to be in, the trials that we're going to face, the, the experiences that we're going to have in our future. And uh, William MacDonald says this um, from the Believer's Bible Commentary. This petition expresses a healthy distrust of one's own ability to resist temptations or stand up under trial. So this is, you know, lead us not to temptation but deliver us from evil. This is also where the armor of God comes in because our, our, our battles are against spiritual things. Not necessarily, necessarily the things that people do to us that we see, but there's something behind it, right? And we, we, we encounter these things daily, on a daily basis. And we're asking for God to keep us in those and protect us. So, uh, in closing, let's, uh, let's stand up and we're going to read this prayer together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. So, other uh, versions have, for yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, and yours is the glory forever and ever. Amen. Okay, if we put God's kingdom in front of our will and we live in that, then we're, God says that, will be blessed, not just with abundant 
good things, but, but we're putting his kingdom first and he's blessing us. He's working through us and he's using us. So go forth and uh, I encourage you to follow that template of praying the Lord's Prayer. Have a good day.